Principles for Dealing with the Changing World Order Why Nations Succeed and Fail by Ray Dalio So this is part two of my review of this book, this great book by successful author uh, Ray Dalio. So um, if you haven't seen part one or listened to part one, I recommend you definitely check that out. Uh, I'm going to continue with um, the three different cycles. Um, We were talking about the three cycle phases that happen in the rise and the decline of empires. So the three cycles or uh, three phases of the cycle are the rise, um, the top and the decline. So we're on part one, the rise. So in my previous podcast, I was just talking about the, um, the rise of, of, of the empires and how um, the the Dutch, for example, uh, defeating the Habsburg Empire, they create they they were very educated. They came up with different inventions, such as the windmill, um, such as the ability to travel with the sh- uh, ships. Um, this boosted economic trade. This boosted their ability to you know s- to create more inventions. Um, and it, it increased their competitiveness in the world markets, okay? So, as a country uh, trade more, they must develop a great military, a great military strength to protect their trade routes and foreign interests. And I was talking about how having a strong military, how that keeps the peace, because when the nation is rising, nobody wants to challenge that rising or that that rising or that that um superpower because of their military might and they know they'll lose in a devastating war so that keeps the peace and the importance of having a strong military um and how it keeps and allows peace and prosperity actually to keep to rise because you know of no one wants to challenge no one wanting to militarily challenge the current world order and the current power so, as countries trade globally and they protect their military route, their, their trade routes with the military, if this is done well, uh, it leads to a strong economic growth, which can be used for financial investments in education, in infrastructure, and in research and development. So, they must also create systems with incentives and empower those who have the ability to make or take wealth. So, aka, for example, the ability to make wealth would be entrepreneurs, take wealth, maybe in the Dutch Empire, it was like explorers, the British Empire was explorers to conquer other nations. But um, in today's day and age, it's more for the entrepreneur. And you're seeing that. Um, a lot of these emerging countries are giving incentives for people to come over because they want invention. They want people to create an, um, company, powerful companies that can help their economy. Whereas the West seems to be in, on the decline and also just seem to be very hungry for money and taxes because they've overspent <laughs> you know like we will see with you know some of these examples that raised point out in the book with the printing the money and um the less productivity that, that they're producing in terms of the debt that's in in ratio with the debt that's been created through the money supply um and 
you know, these this is causing massive inflation, is causing the the prices of everything to rise because of that, because of the worthlessness of the um, currency. And they're dealing with that by increasing taxes on the rich and things of that nature, which causes them to move. You see a great example of that, even within the United States, when companies like Tesla move from California and Silicon Valley because the taxes there are too expensive and the California state doesn't seem to be friendly towards entrepreneurs, which makes no sense. So Tesla decided to move to Texas, which is a lot more friendly state for entrepreneurship and for taxes and for all of those things. It gives people the incentive to create jobs and economies and to create a strong economy within Texas. Um, so why wouldn't he move there? You know, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense why you wouldn't incentivize people who are producing a lot of value into our society rather than punish them for that, you know, Um and I think maybe when people don't study history or don't understand economics and they just want to, they're very socialist or they're very, you know, they believe in taking from the rich to give to the poor kind of thing to redistribute wealth. Um, they don't understand actually like by incentivizing people like entrepreneurs to build businesses so everybody to flourish because they produce, they provide jobs to the masses which in turn allows the masses to earn a living you know so anyway that's the way i see it anyway so it must also create systems to incentivize and empower those who have the ability like i said to make or take wealth um most successful empires use a capitalist approach to develop productivity uh, uh, to develop productive entrepreneurs so even china even China, that's run by the Communist Party, uses a form of this capitalism system in their country, okay? And it has created so much prosperity. Like, a city like... Because um, they have these economic zones in China, like, in, especially in the south. Is it Guangzhou, um, Shenzhen, Hong Kong? Um, this kind of area in the south is, is further away from Beijing and it's on the coast it's these economic zones they've created these really strong powerhouses of cities that have allowed technology to really flourish you know um like shenzhen used to be 40 years ago was like a small like village <laughs> it's now a mega metropolis of over 10 million people and has some of the most you know inventive you know technical people on the planet you know that rivals um silicon valley you got companies like dji you got tense i don't know if tencent's there huawei i'm not sure if huawei's there um but a lot of these companies baidu is it baidu uh, alibaba i'm not I, I can't remember exactly where all these chinese companies are based a lot of them are based in a lot of the techn technology companies i know dji definitely they're all based in um in Shenzhen, you know, and this is because Deng Xiaoping, you know, the former chairman of the Chinese People's um, Political Conservative Conference, he, you know, was a big part of, you know, China's reform and, you know, creating this capitalist kind of system within China to allow people to flourish. So he was very famous for the quote um, saying, it's glorious to be rich. 
which I think is fantastic. I think it's a fantastic message because we need to stop glorifying poverty and villainizing wealth because it isn't glorious to be poor. When you go to the poor areas, that's where you see the crime. That's where you see corruption. That's where you see problems. People starving, people homeless, people not able to feed their children. How the hell is that good? You know, when you go to prosperous areas, it's peaceful, it's quiet. People smile, people are happy, they have enough. They don't need to steal and rob and and kill each other for, you know, senseless things. And even sometimes since, you know, things that make sense, like they're starving, they don't have enough money for food. So I feel very passionately about that, as you can probably hear. So I really like that quote of it's glorious to be rich. It's not glorious to be poor. People in China were starving to death, you know, in the 1940s and beyond, before, you know, and and, and before that in 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 uh, Mao's, Mao Zedong's um, reign, you know, um, it didn't work. So, Deng Xiaoping came into power, you know, again, it's not something I know huge amounts of, you know, just from what I've read and what I've been told, um, and obviously from, you know, I've got I've got a um, book on Deng Xiaoping, I'm going to be reading a biography, um, I'll be probably reading next, actually, I'm really interested to learn about the man, and, you know, all the things he did for China because we're seeing you know that leadership come into play now because it is now the rising superpower second only behind the United States which I actually think it's overtaken the United States to be honest you but with you but it's definitely at least in that pro in that um transition right now so he was famous for saying like I said it's glorious to be rich and he also said it doesn't matter if it's a white cat or a black cat as long as it catches mice fantastic quotes um totally dig that and um you know like i said even china it's a communist country but it still adopts very capitalist ideologies that may be even more capitalist than what we're doing in the west right now which is why they're flourishing and they've got a rising middle class whereas in the west we're seeing the middle class declining you know and not able to afford houses and you know or or able to even afford like simple you know worrying about rising gas and electric prices and things of that nature um because the cost of living so high here but yet the economic output isn't even though people are working hard and producing a lot they're, they're not making enough money you know they're not the wages haven't risen to meet with inflation so to do this well they must develop their capital markets particularly their leading they're, oh, sorry, not their leading, their lending, should I say, lending, bond, and stock markets. So this allows people to convert their savings into investments um, that fund invention and development, okay? And then share in the successes of those who make great things happen in our society. So stock market investing wasn't something I was ever really interested in until last year. And um, I'm so glad I got in, uh, into it because it, it you learn about how your money, you take your money that you've earned to go and invest it in others who are producing good things for society. So, for example, if I invest in shares of Apple, 
I'm putting my money towards Apple so that they can go and make better products. Because I'm an Apple customer. I've been an Apple customer for over 15 years. Fantastic company. They've created and invented machines that have allowed me to do creative work and allowed me to make a living as a video editor. I use their products and services every day from iCloud to the uh, MacBook Pro to the iPhone to the iPad. I'm recording this podcast on my iPhone right now and I'm looking at my notes on an iPad. So it's allowing me to create some value in society by creating this podcast as it does allow me to create videos using um, the MacBook Pro um, or the iMacs, the Mac Pros at work. Um, I used Final Cut Pro for many, many years to do video editing. And now I'll use the Adobe Suite um, and I use uh, Adobe Premiere as my main source of um, my main video editing system. But for many years, for over five years, I used Final Cut Pro. Again, that's because of Apple's inventiveness, the entrepreneurial um, invention of Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak, and now the obviously continuation from um, Tim Cook, you know, in driving the company as the CEO. And by, and by putting that, money that i make every month into a company like apple i'm reinvesting back into the economy so they can produce better things for the majority of people so that is what investing is is putting money out to get a better return on your money later on but it also allows the money to keep moving instead of hoarding it putting it out there so that companies at apple who do great things that i can't do or i'm not focused on doing or that i can't but i'm not focused on doing to allow them to do more of that you know and use my money to do more of that and then return them rewarded and i think that's a brilliant system you know so the greatest empires created lending financial um, centers for attracting and distributing the world's capital like what I just said, that's exactly the process of the stock market. You allow the world's markets to distribute um, finances to, you know, these these financial centers so that they can distribute that wealth to these companies. And that, that um, capital can be used for invention and creation and to keep the economy going. I think it's a great system, to be honest with you. So, for example, Amsterdam was the world's financial centre in the uh, Dutch Empire. Uh, London, when the British Empire was on top. New York in the American Empire, or as we currently have it, as uh, the financial centre. And now, China is developing its financial centres in Shanghai, Beijing and Hong Kong. So... Again, this is great because when you're on the New York Stock Exchange, you can buy shares of a company, you can invest your money and that allows them to use that capital for their invention and the continuation of economic growth and prosperity. It provides goods and services to us all that we all get to enjoy, we all flourish from and I don't know people who are very anti-capitalist it's like i don't think they really understand the system i'm like would you prefer socialism would you prefer that people take from you so that they have exactly what you have even though they haven't given the same economic output as you or would you prefer communist state or would you prefer you know like 
would you prefer to be a hunter gatherer and have to go and make your own clothes and your own iPhone and your own house? Because the house you built, you was built. It was built by usually a bunch of guys, a bunch of men who had to, you know, hover in on on a crane, you know, <laughs> you know, hundred feet in the air, you know, putting the infrastructure and the cement and the foundation and the plumbing and the electronics and the the infrastructure of the metal works and everything else the bricks the mortar you know to, to to create that building for you to live in so they were paid to do that and the company was paid to pay them to do that um so that you can have this real estate to live in so it's the same with everything else that you see around you right now the phone you're listening to this on or the other listening device that was created by someone else a system a, a company you know and a bunch of creative people who the capital was used to help them create what you now get to enjoy you know and i think it's fantastic it's a great system it's just bad when it's abused and it's used in a way that you know is takes advantage of people just like everything else you know um but like you like i said when you see thing um even places like china they've used commun- they've used it's a communist um country but it's used capitalism in a very good way um and it's taken maybe the best of communism and the best of capitalism that works best for them you know it might not work best for us but it works best for them and there's different ways of doing things you know as long as it works and you and most people get to you know prosper and live good lives because of it that i'm all for it so most importantly in the capitalist system the government and the military um the capitalists the government and the military must work together okay so as the country becomes the world's leading trade uh, the the leading trading empire and as it tri- and it and as it trades globally its currency becomes the preferred me- uh, medium of exchange so people around the world want to save in it and making it the preferred store of or hold of wealth. Therefore, it becomes the world's reserve currency, kind of like what the US is, dollar is today. So when empires run out of its own currency, it can always print more, which is terrible because we, you and I can't do that if we lose money, but unfortunately that's still the rules that's the you know governments can do that so this can lead to um increased borrowing and a finan- and then a financial bubble so this series of cause and effect relationships it's um leading to it leads to supporting financial political and military powers boosted by the borrowing power of the reserve currency um, have gone together since history began to be recorded so this is again history it repeats itself these systems have repeated itself you know from what we can even recall in recorded history and probably beyond what we recorded in history so all of the most powerful empires followed this path to the top so that's our next section is the top of the economic cycle so notes here from ray dalio as people in these in these powerful countries earn more 
This makes them more expensive and less competitive in other uh, than other countries who are willing to work for less. So while other countries, they're actually copying the methods and the technologies of the leading empire. You know, um, and it, it reduces the leading power's competitiveness. So you see that, like, obviously, like, cheaper labor in Asia, for example. China was, the labor was cheaper, although it's getting more expensive now. So as they begin to, as they prospering more and more, the middle class is growing. But, you know, people complain that, oh, you're outsourcing everything to China or India or Bangladesh. Because the labor in the West and the US is is more expensive. So companies want to obviously save money. So if they can get people to do the same job for less, then they will. And that's just part of the system, you know. It's not, it doesn't sound fair, but it's part of the system. And it isn't fair because the cost of living for the people in the United States or the UK or the Western world is a lot higher. So obviously they can... They want to be paid more money to cover the cost of living. Whereas the cost of living in other countries is less, so they can be paid less. So that's just um, like a result of, 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 that, of that cycle, really, of the top. When you're at the top, that's, you'll be become more expensive. So, also, as people become more rich, they tend not to work as hard. They enjoy more leisure and enjoy the finer things in life. And at an extreme, they become more decadent, which is where I fear our Western society is actually heading is or is actually at right now. So the values from generation to generation during the rise to the top between those who have to fight to achieve wealth and power and those who are just born with it they're less battle-hardened and steeped in luxury and accustomed to the easy life which makes them more vulnerable to challenges again i think we're seeing that a lot in the western world right now people are just very spoilt um in general i think not everybody but in general i think we've enjoyed a lot of luxury a lot of prosperity we haven't dealt with much hardship you know other than obviously the pandemic <laughs> and a few things here and there it's like it's not been like we haven't gone through world war Two or anything um and not that i think we should have to do that but we should have also remember like the values that made us prosper you know um and it has to be remembered that's why you need to study history so wealth gaps grow uh rich people use their greater resource to reinforce their power so for example giving privileges like greater education to children and by influencing the political powers to keep the system to their advantage this cause in this causes the gap between the values politics and influences to grow between the rich haves and the poor have-nots uh, this causes resentment to grow. So while it is like, a, again, I'm very much not for in society, pe- certain people being able to buy $10,000 handbags and other people not be able to buy food for their children that evening or not know where their next meal is coming from, which is ridiculous because we have more than enough to go around. Um, 
I don't think I think a lot of that the wealth gap in terms of saying how the rich like use their resources to reinforce their power it's also the habits it's also things like paying yourself first that, that, that poor people tend to pay other people first they want to b- pay their bills and stuff and they want to and they want to buy nice things and spend all their money uh whereas wealthy people want to invest their money they want to know what investments they can purchase whether it be stocks or real estate or investing in private businesses you know or you know reserving their money in things that appreciate in value because they understand that the currency is going down in value but that's an education gap again not having that financial education you don't know what's in your pocket that you're using you value it too much you see it as a god rather than as a tool um so you're not putting it to work by investing or preserving it maybe investing in gold or silver or you know people that nowadays want cryptocurrency and bitcoin things of that nature but also rare paintings and sculptures and you know things of that nature as well as oil and gas natural gas things of that nature that provide values and preserve value uh for the world you know and understanding you have to do that first before you spend the money you know and also to use that money for education to make you do investing in what made you generate that money in the first place like for me it'd be doing courses on filmmaking on cameras lighting editing sound visual effects you know putting money into books courses equipment you know new cameras new lenses and like all this kind of stuff because that's going to allow me to make even more money rather than spending it on like a car or buying a house when i haven't got the money to buy a house or or um you know buying fancy clothes you know instead of just buying used clothes at a charity shop and then using the money the capital uh to invest in myself like by buying stocks or by buying uh you know like i said a new camera or or a course or that 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 can teach me financial skills or um you know filmmaking skills you know, or by investing in real estate and property, you know, buying a an apartment complex, you know, um, providing affordable housing for other people, which will allow me to generate income every month from the rental income that I generate from that by providing that service to the market. So it's 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 also a you know, it's also a mindset there that wealthy people have that poor people don't have as well. And that has to come from a change of habits as well as a change of knowledge so yeah it's like a it reinforces itself and it just it, everything just scales it spirals either up or down i think so yeah there's there's that as well so having the world's reserve currency inevitably leads to the world's power uh, the world's power to borrow money excessively building large debts with foreign lenders which leads to spending power over the short term but weakens the country's financial health and the currency in the long term when borrowing and spending is strong the empire appears very strong but its finances are in fact weakened the borrowing sustains sustains sorry the borrowing sustains the country's finances beyond its fundamentals and by financing both domestic 
um, overconsumption, both domestically, overconsumption and international um, military conflicts required to remain the empire. The cost of maintaining and defending the empire becomes greater than the revenue that it brings in. So having an empire becomes unprofitable. So Ray uses an example of the British Empire becoming really massive. And it was actually, he says that the British Empire was like, and you never really think about it. You know, this small little country that we, I live in right now, you know, UK, England, Great Britain, you know, this um these british isles you don't think about it but it's the empire was like the biggest empire in history it was bigger than the mongol empire it was bigger than the roman empire you know it's bigger than you know what genghis khan did what alexander the great conquered it was it, it was it was it's huge what the british empire the territory that the british empire took over i think he said it was almost a quarter or a third of the world that the british empire had control over so yeah, you never really think about how big the British Empire is, but he uses that as an example. It was massive and bureaucratic, and the loss and it lost its competitive advantage as rival powers, particularly Germany, soared, which led to an expensive arms race and then the World War. So obviously, World War One and World War Two. The U.S. has spent around eight trillion dollars in foreign wars. Which is more uh, and more in other military operations, and sustaining U.S. military bases in more than seventy countries around the world, but it's not still not spending enough to compete apparently with uh, China's military presence in the area around China, so the South China Sea, the Pacific area. Um, yeah, it's interesting that there's military bases all over the world. That the military, the the U.S. military is all over the world. You know, um, it's kind of policing the world right now. So in this cycle, the richer countries get deeper into debt by borrowing from poorer countries who save more. Um, one of the early signs of a power shift. So yeah, that's something to definitely watch out for. So here's the decline. We're now at the decline. So the decline part of the cycle. This is where um, it comes. The decline comes from internal economic weakness, as well as internal fighting, or costly in, uh, external wars, or both. So the decline typically happens very gradually and then very suddenly. So when debts become large and there is a downturn, the empire can no longer borrow money to pay its debts the financial bubble bursts or the financial bubble bursts and it creates great domestic hardships so the empire has to choose between defaulting on its debts or printing more money and it always chooses to print more money um races as firstly gradually it does that and then it does it massively which devalues the ca- the currency and it raises inflation so that whole process is you know something that we're experiencing now in 2022 inflation's on the rise because we did a lot of money printing in 2020 with the pandemic and um to create that stimulation of the economy because there wasn't economic output and you know, you know we're paying for it now because there's too much money in the system and it doesn't match the economic gdp of you know the 
productivity of of the goods and services that we produce you know so it's a shame because it robs wealth from all of us because we're fighting hard to to work for this money but then you know it's worth less so it takes more of it to produce to 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 buy or to purchase the same goods and services and that's why it's important to understand how to multiply and preserve your money by investing you know by buying assets that appreciate in value that produce cash flow you know so you can essentially legally print your own money because if you buy an apartment building it's a building that will appreciate in value because it takes more of the currency to purchase that building but also it rate you can raise rents because it costs more to operate that building therefore the tenant has to pay more rent that cash flow goes to you because you are the owner and therefore you get to benefit from the free cash flow after the money has been paid towards the mortgage, the maintenance of the property and the rent. The excessive rent after that is called the free cash flow, which goes in your pocket and allows you to make a living. So, you know, instead of you try trading your time for money all the time, you know, because then you can use that money to buy things in the economy and keep the economy going and not have to worry about you know how hard you worked for that money because you put your hard work in money in the asset and then use the assets um cash flow to buy your liabilities you know so that's a lesson from robert kiyosaki the rich dad rich dad poor dad um he particularly talks about that in books like the cash flow quadrant and he talks about it in all of his books but you know rich dad poor dad's definitely a book worth reading if you're new to financial education especially so when the government has problems funding itself um when there are bad economic conditions and living standards for most people are declining there are large wealth value political gaps internal conflicts which between the rich and poor as well as different ethnic religious and racial groups greatly increasing increases this leads to political extremism that shows up in po- as populism of the left or the right those on the left seek to redistribute the wealth while those on the right seek to keep the wealth in the hands of the rich so yeah you're seeing that happen a lot in the the west right now there's a lot of extreme ideologies i think um i won't get into all that now but it's sad to see i think society goes from one extreme which is terrible to another extreme trying to overcorrect the other extreme and it becomes a terrible thing instead of like understanding the nuances of life and staying in the middle and understanding we can't go too far in either extremes but a lot of this is caused by all these economic situations that we're talking about now with these cycles and the way that the systems have been brought up and the way that you know people are basically taken advantage of in the system you know printing money is you know as a result of governments overspending if you and i overspend we go broke you know 
you know, you're on the streets, but the governments are able to print money and devalue your wealth. I think it's terrible, but it's the system that it, it is what it is. You just have to, there's no point in fighting the system. You just have to try and understand it and use it to your benefit, you know, educate yourself and use it to your benefit so you can, at least you and your family can prosper. And if we all take care of ourselves and each other, then hopefully we'll figure out, you know, a way around the system to you know, we'll figure out how to use the system in our favor, you know, because we can't change it, we don't have that power as individuals, so typically, during such times, taxes are on the rise on for the rich, um, and when the rich fear their wealth is be and wealth being is being taken away, they move to places, assets and currencies that they feel safer in, so what I was talking about earlier about Tesla, um, for example, in the United States, the taxes are too high in California. So, you know, Tesla, Elon Musk, Tesla, they decide to move to Texas where they're more favorable and give more incentives for um, entrepreneurship, which then doesn't benefit California because then they lose out on that valuable company being there and creating economic growth so i think it's people not understanding how these incentives work and how these economic systems are supposed to work that's my opinion anyway so those outflows reduce the empire's tax revenue as i was just saying which um to a self-enforce which is self-enforcing hollowing out process so when the flight of wealth gets very gets bad enough governments outlaw it so you know like you saw like there there was a lot of talk about i remember hearing like kiyosaki talking about how it was illegal to hold gold in the united states you know in the 70s you know after nixon you know i think it was after nixon took um the US off the gold standard. It was difficult. For, it was legal for a while for Americans to hold gold. So you get things like that. You get people's freedoms being, you know, shunned. Like you see it in the West now, like with the pandemic, people not able to travel as much, you know, all that kind of stuff, like because of the fears around the pandemic. But there were other things as well, I think, behind, them, behind that. Um, and I think it's to do with a lot of this stuff we're reading here with, with Ray Dalio's book here about these economic cycles. So the ec- the economy shrinks, causing more conflict um, about how to divide the, the shrinking resources. Populist leaders emerge on both sides, on both sides uh, and they pledge to take control and bring about order. So to the chaos, you know. Um, now this is when uh, democracy is most challenged as it fails to control the anarchy this is when populist leaders rise with whom are brought about to bring uh, order to the chaos so for example like with the Weimar Republic they had this exact same problem where there was an overprinting of the currency of the German mark and um, it was printed into oblivion so people their wealth was wiped out you know and it caused the rise of Adolf Hitler and we all know what happened there you know (laughs) there's some horrible human atrocities that happened with the holocaust and things of that nature you know 
um, obviously World War One, World War Two, particularly World War Two, obviously with that, um, and that's just it. Just wasn't a good thing, and we can't afford for that that kind of thing to happen again. So we have to be really like mindful of this history, you know. I think so. This can lead to internal conflicts and civil wars uh, to bring about changes. And the change can be peaceful, which is obviously what we hope, um, and maintain the existing order. But more often than not, race says that it is violent and um, it changes the, 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 the order in things. So the U.S. Roosevelt Resolu- Revolution, for example, was a peaceful one and it maintains the order however for example the french revolution the russian revolution and the chinese revolution were more violent so this ex- internal conflict makes the nation more weak and vulnerable and um to the rising external rivals who see this domestic weakness and are more inclined to mount a challenge this raises the risk of great inter- internal conflicts especially if the rivals have built up comparable military power and you see now that obviously with china um their military power especially in the south of china um is a lot stronger you know and it's starting to rival the united states um and what's worrying about that is again there's a lot of tension between the united states and china but it's mainly the tension over Taiwan, which we'll talk about again later in the podcast. But that's what Ray says is the one kind of worrying aspect of that whole conflict between the emerging power in China and the established power in the United States. So, you know, hopefully that never happens. So, because God help us all if it does. But. Yeah, so hopefully that never happens. But you know that that's one thing he 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 talks about in the book, um, in chapters twelve and thirteen. Um, so anyway, this requires great military spending while internal conflicts are happening, and when the empire can least afford it. So the lending empire, oh sorry, the leading empire is faced with the decision of fighting or retreating to the rising empire. So fighting and losing is worse is is the worst outcome, but retreating is also bad as it signals that the country is weak and other nations considering which side to go on, you know, then they're gonna probably go with obviously the country that they perceive to be the strongest. So wars are terribly costly, he says, um at the same time they produce the tectonic shifts that realign the new orders um, and the new realities of wealth and power in the world. When those holding wealth and currency of the empire lose faith and sell them, that marks the end of its big cycle. And of roughly the 750 currencies that existed since 1700, less than 20% now exist. But all of them, all of them have been devalued. Okay. So they've all turned into fiat currency, been printed into oblivion. So they've been devalued. So because there's more of them in the system chasing the same goods and services, 
they're worth less, meaning the prices of your goods and services go up. For people wondering why the gas prices and the heating prices are going up right now. So, for... (coughs) Oh, excuse me, sorry. So, for example, for the British, this happened after World War II. When despite the vic- their victory, they could not repay the massive debts they borrowed to fund their war efforts. So this led to a series of money printing, devaluations and sell-offs of the British pound as the US and the dollar emerged dominant and created a new world order. So at this time, the US hasn't yet reached th- this point, um, he says, um, but while... It's a massive. It's, it has its massive debt, and spends more than it earns. And while there are great internal and external conflicts, which we are seeing a lot in our society right now, especially in America, um, occurring all for all the classic reasons, um, they've not yet crossed the line to become wars, and hopefully they don't. They never do. Eventually, all of these conflicts. The new leaders come, whether it be peaceful or violent, these leaders restructure the losers' debts and political systems and establish the new world order. So, with the new world order, I can almost see it happening already because, like, even in the movie industry, like, we're yielding to what China wants. A lot of our box office, we're really concerned about the Chinese box office, which was never really a massive concern in the American film industry in Hollywood. But now it's like, oh, you know, will this movie be released in China or will it not? Because they only accept certain amount of foreign films every year, you know? And there's certain requirements that they have in terms of like the themes of the films and all these kind of things. So yeah, it's, it's it's interesting to see like just the behavior of, of what's going on in the world. So, you know, I think the new world order is is almost taking place as we speak, really. But you know, could be wrong. Who knows? So, also, really says like all cycles don't necessarily happen like this, but most of them do, and if those in charge see the vital signs so they can do stuff to slow they can do something to slow down the decline but it's difficult to res- um to reserve it as to reserve their position in, as the world leading power because a lot of the damage has already been done you know on the decline so Ray's advice is to earn more than we spend and to treat each other well which i definitely agree with I wanted to make some, I made some extra notes myself um, on the book of the chapters I found the most interesting. Um, and it was, again, around China and China's rise and obviously its um, conflicts with the United States in terms of, you know, the decline of the United States and the rising power of, of China. So I'm going to read some of my notes here where I put up. I said in chapter 12... Um, Ray Dalio, he looks at the rise of China and the renminbin, which is their currency, or yuan. Um, And in chapter 13, the US-China relations and war. So these chapters I found very interesting as they were relevant 
to us all right now in 2022 at the time of me recording this podcast so ray being an american gives great insight into china into the chinese as someone who has done business in china has friends and associates in china and particularly for an american or westerner reading gives a fair perspective of the chinese the way they think versus the americans and the differences without villainizing them which western media has largely been doing due to the trade wars um obviously between the china china and the us and just like the subjects in this book explains the conflicts that are caused between the rising power taking over the declining power so he also talks about the chinese uh like he's doing in this book ironically how they took how they look back at the last like 5000 years of history they take wisdom from all the way to confucius you know and in contrast the united states mainly look back at he mentions that the united states mainly look back at their history like their current history you know they don't look back further than the european settlement in north america you know because there were people what they call that the natives that were there before before america um european americans were there and they don't look past so many they don't look at they look at recent history more than they look at like as far back as they don't look at thousands of years of history like like um the chinese do in general anyway so he mentions that and he talks about um like some of the business people that he met and how they're really smart and they 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 can they quote confucius and you know sun tzu and all these people from ancient china and all the different aspects of history you know world history and they're very um cultured in that sense whereas you know americans they're more concerned with the recent history so he mentions that it's he's not ideological um about choosing a side and he mainly talks about us understanding each other and the different ways of doing things rather than defaulting to negative stereotypes making the other people look bad basically um and particularly from the American point of view, since he is an American, um, to be careful of negative stereotypes of the old communist China. Because, you know, a lot of Americans, again, they're very only concerned with America in general. You find they're not as well-traveled. There are a lot of well-traveled Americans, but in general, they don't tend to travel outside of America. And with China, the, the Chinese, they're all over the place. They're all over the world, you know. Um, there are a lot of Chinese people who haven't tra- traveled outside China. You know, I again, I lived there for like six months. And I've been to the United States as well. And going to China was like a different world. Like, because the Chinese don't see, like, black people that much, they only see them on television, like, especially in movies or, you know, on they love the nba they love basketball so most of the nba are black people so you know when they see me they're like oh they treat me like a celebrity it's like, oh wow well, well. you know um very naive but i found them very like endearing you know they're very curious they want to know about you they want to know you know the you know they're very but very welcoming as well and the media 
has portrayed a lot of negative things about China that you know and tarred them all with the same brush and I don't like that because I I I haven't exp- I didn't experience that as on the whole they're just people like us you know <laughs> and I think it's important that we acknowledge that and it's great that Ray kind of like his main thing was to like make sure that people especially Americans kind of acknowledge that or, or just see it from see these things from 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 his experiences just to kind of educate especially Americans about this so he mentions how China is run like a family household as I was saying before or an American business ironically with the government doing what is best for the people and the Chinese people putting the community and family first before the individual whereas the American system is more about the individual and individual freedoms and rights and um, what's best for the individual so it's run from the bottom down as as opposed to the China which China which is run from the top down so it's run for the bottom up rather than China which is run from the top down kind of thing so looking at these values um it is naive to think that the chinese should change their system he says like to be more like the western world or america um and be more democratic you know or diplomatic should i say um or democratic should i say um it's in the same way it'd be naive and I'd argue even crazy and unacceptable for us to expect Americans to abandon their way and governance to be more like the Chinese. You know, we have to accept each other's differences. You know, Charlie Munger talked about this. You know, he was talking about investing in Alibaba and how people were so skeptical about that and asking him why he's doing that and all that stuff because the Chinese and this, that, and the other, the stereotypes. But he was saying, like, I think it's naive for us to think that the way that we do things is better than the way they do things it's just good for them it's what's worked for them and, it, and and that's fine and what works for us is what works for us you know and it's not right or wrong it's just we all are different people and we have different ways of you know running our nations and that's okay we can live together in peace and you know be you know admire what each other does and take the best of what we we all do you know because uh, there's great things about america and there's great things about china you know and i totally agree with that um so what else did i note here um i put down a note that the most concerning chapter for me was um chapter 13 the u.s china relations and wars so ray dalio he talks about the trade war between the two countries um the rivalry with china being the rising power and the challenging challenging the established power in the united states through their economic rise of course um the battle in development of ai and things of that nature and um of course the military power and the rise of the military power of china versus the established military power of the united states but the most concerning was the possible hot war as we call it or shooting military war between the two countries over taiwan which would be devastating especially because of the technology and weapons that we now have and um the ways that we have now of killing each other which are just devastating obviously nuclear weapons that both china and the united states have and the sophisticated missile systems and things of that nature we, we just 
cannot afford to have a war, a massive world war again, especially between two massive nations like like China and the United States. It would be devastating. Um, the Taiwan situation is a bit complicated. It seems complicated, and that, and again, I don't pretend to know like that much about it. You know, have a limited experience of this from things I've read and people I've spoken to and documentaries I've watched and videos I've watched on YouTube. So I can't. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on this situation, but it sounds very complicated. Um, but China hasn't been a nation that's actually invaded. He he points out, you know, and conquered other nations. It's not typically what it does, even though it has been invaded by the Mongols and obviously by the Japanese. World War Two, you know, um, but with Taiwan, they believe that it's Chinese territory. Um, and the and the and the the conflict with that with that is that the Taiwanese believe that they're an independent nation, so that's causing the conflict. And because the U.S. of the U.S. victories in the Pacific in World War Two, uh, they believe they have a duty to obviously protect, possibly defend Taiwan from an invasion from obviously China. Um, and I did watch an interesting, some interesting videos um, on YouTube about that that go into far more detail than I'm going into this podcast. So basically, according to some of the sources I've seen, after the, the Japanese defeat by the United States in World War II, there was an agreement that Taiwan, with the US and China, that Taiwan was part of China and that the United States wouldn't get involved and that a peaceful... Um, reunification of Taiwan back to China would take place. However, that's never that never happened, and now Taiwan sees themselves as a separate sovereign nation. China believes in defending its territory, and as Ray points out, um, there's certain things that the Chinese are willing to die for, and um, you know one of those things is 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 protecting its own nation, its own what it sees as its own land. So this subject seems to be one of them, you know, and. As their military presence in the South China Sea grows stronger, it's hard now to see the United States even possibly winning a war in that region because it's and as we mentioned earlier, it's you know they haven't been able to keep up with the military spending that China has in that region of the world, and obviously China is in that region of the world. So, and the bad thing is, is, is we don't even know if. We don't know if America would necessarily get involved in the war between America and Taiwan, um, but it would probably anger a lot of people in the United States who don't even know that Taiwan existed, exists, you know, um, and fighting for a nation that's not the United States. Um, but again, if the United States backed down from the situation, it could be seen as a sign of weakness and the decline of power. So this might cause them to go to war. So. You know, this is Ray's main concern about a possible hot war between China and the United States. Is this conflict over Taiwan? And he says, if that ever happens, the military war between China and the United States, God help us all, because it would probably be devastating to the planet, you know, and to humankind, really. Because um, hundreds of millions of people were killed in World War Two, people don't realize that like, more civilians died than soldiers. Hundreds of millions of people, soldiers, non-soldiers, you know, men, women, children, you know, they were they were killed, you know, 
and we can't afford that to, that to happen so i think i'm just going to end this podcast just as ray dalio said let's be good to each other uh spend less than we earn you know and um just try and understand each other but this book is absolutely phenomenal i really enjoyed reading it i learned a lot and um you know i'm gonna take the knowledge that i've learned from this book and apply it to my life and hopefully my investing life as well help me make more money and stuff but more important than that just understanding like each other and like trying to at least have an understanding of each other because i don't pretend to know everything about anything but i'm always open to new ideas and new people new cultures and i think it's great that we live in a world that's vast and we just gotta accept the way things are really so anyway i'll see you next time for another podcast peace